My famous tagline that I developed years ago is, we were unknowing, unwilling, uncompensated, innocent, tax-paying victims in the first atomic bomb. All right, uh, well, we're at the uh, Trinity site today on one of the two days a year that it's open to the public. This is the site of the, uh, the very first detonation of a nuclear weapon on Earth, which is both special and horrifying when you think about it. And uh, so I have a Geiger counter for various hobby reasons, and uh, that's one of the fun things to do is look around, find some elevated levels, and there's because there's little bits of Trinitite everywhere still from that day. The, the fused uh, sand turned to glass from the blast. It's the day when humanity sort of rolled the dice on itself, and we can't go back to the moment before that bomb detonated. It's a very interesting part of history that everybody should at least know about and understand what came after, because we're living in it and we'll always live in it. My husband was born and raised in Almogordo, and he's the 13th member to die of cancer in his family. When he passed away, I just was convinced that this was what, what, what I needed to do. Just I just needed to do it. So I started Googling and Googling, and I found Tina Cordova and the Downwinders. And I called her up, and I told her our story about the cancer. My, my husband had cancer first in the colon. Uh, he lost part of his colon. Then he had kidney cancer, lost a kidney, and then it metastasized to his liver. And once it gets in your liver, it's terminal. So, so I got, uh, four years ago, I came out here for the very first time. Didn't know anybody. I just drove from Texas out here and with a sign. And I stood out here and I met these wonderful people and I learned so much more about the battle that they've been fighting. Um, you know, if, if they had not passed the, the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act in 1990, this would be a much harder battle for us. Uh, but because they did pass that, uh, that uh, RECA bill, it's kind of, I think, opened the door a little bit. And uh, uh, so, you know, they didn't include all the, the counties in those four states up there. They only, just a few counties. Um, and, you know, we're trying to get that bill amended to help these people. These people have never been acknowledged. And since 1990, they've given the, the downwinders up there in Nevada site over $2 billion in compensation. But they've never compensated these people. And there were 40,000 people that live within, you know, 50 miles of ground zero. In 1945, and even subsequent to that, even when I was a child, our lifestyle in these little towns was very, we lived very organic lifestyles, what everybody sort of aspires to today, but it was the worst thing possible because everybody had a garden. And in 1945, in July, women would have been harvesting fruit and vegetables and canning them, drying them, right, for, this, for the winter. So everything that, that we ate was pretty well grown and, and harvested. Everybody lived very organic lifestyles, and it was the worst thing they could possibly doing, be doing because the water was tainted, the soil was tainted. And in 1945, in almost all these little towns, there, were no running, there was no running water. People had cisterns where they collected water, or they pull it right out of the ditches, the running ditches. You know, I've talked to people in Carrizozo who said, there was a pond north of town, like a holding pond, and it would fill up when it would rain, and that's where we'd go dip water out of. We would make the trip over there to bring jugs of water home, and I told him, you, do you realize that if, if there was particulate matter that day that got on people, in their hair, on their skin, it's unlikely that they bathed within that first even 24 hours, because I've talked to people about this as well, and they've told me, you know, we 
shower every day. Sometimes people shower more than once a day. Back then, because water was such a huge commodity that no one had access to easily, you know, they bathed once a week and they sometimes shared bathing water. <laughs> and so, you know, there was lots of, there were, there were lots of access points where people were exposed and the government never gave anybody a warning before or after. And we feel that New Mexico has been slighted. We, you know, we were ground zero. We feel that we were used like guinea pigs. They thought that nobody lived here, uh, but they have uh, wiped out many generations of families out here. We've had a lot of sterility, a lot of deformity, a lot of cancer in this area, and we want the, we want to be included in the RECA Act. I feel that we deserve it, and I feel that the government needs to take responsibility and recognize that they hurt a lot of people here. How many years of life have they taken away from people? If you put, every, put all these people that have died because of the years, how many thousands of years of life have they taken away? Let's say if they take 10 years of my life, 10 years of his life, 10 years from everybody's life, how many thousands of years? The really sad thing about New Mexico is that, you know, we've read a little bit about sacrifice zones, and I really do believe New Mexico was determined to be a sacrifice zone a long time ago, probably because of the sparse population and maybe even because of the number of natives and Hispanics that live here. And, you know, they counted on us to be unsophisticated and, like I said, uneducated and Nobody knew what exposure to radiation meant. I, I remember in the 60s when I was a kid, you know, there was some talk about it and people were starting because of the Cold War. Everybody was sort of starting to understand what it meant. But there's that great story in the literature about them, the people from Los Alamos showing up at a ranch out there and the rancher comes out and says, what are you doing? Because they're in, you know, the Tyvek suits and they have a rudimentary Geiger counter and... He says, what are you doing? And he, he says, oh, we're just checking for uh, radioactivity. And he said, well, you, you won't find any here because we don't own a radio. And that's the level of understanding that people had. And then when people talk about, well, you should have just moved away, I always tell everybody, if only people understood the level of, um, and I don't want to call it poverty because I want to sort of clarify that, but the level of ac lack of access to means to do that, I guess, and um, the fact that in Tularosa, for example, we just, they just celebrated the church fiesta that's more than 200 years old. The people there have roots that extend back 130-some years before the bomb was detonated. And they just think it's so, it's, it's so easy to just pull yourself up and move someplace. That's an insane um, sort of, I don't know, assumption that you would be able to do something like that. And, you know, uh, I've heard a lot of the old people, not that there are very many old people left, unfortunately, because I always say that people don't land up growing old in our communities. And it's not going to end with my dad, who was a three, three, a four-year-old at the time, three or four-year-old at the time, who received a huge dose because he was tiny. It's not going to end with him dying. You know, it's going to continue through generations because of the genetic component. And you, you learn it 
that it's in everything. You know, every part of history, all the wars that we fought since, they all have some component that is related to nuclear power, nuclear weapons, that policy, that, you know, the, you know, weapons of mass destruction, mutually assured destruction. Mm -hmm. It's in everything. <laughs> and uh, it's a lot more built into our world than you probably realize. You are listening to Off Country, a multimedia oral history project examining landscapes of nuclear weapons testing and the stories of people who have been impacted by that industry. This is the first in an audio series. If you liked what you heard and you want to support the production of more work like this, visit our website, off-country.com, to find out how to make a tax-deductible donation. And to truly sustain our mission, consider supporting our Kickstarter campaign, which closes November 6th. We could really use your support. Plus, you can get some awesome rewards. Off Country is fiscally sponsored by Basement Films, an Albuquerque-based nonprofit supporting underground and undependent media. Off Country is produced by Taylor Dunn, Eric Stewart, and Nancy Wolf. Special thanks to Tina Cordova and the Tularosa Basin Downwinders Consortium. Additional audio recorded by Kurt Heiner, Sarah Biagini, and Eric Coombs. I have a piece of uranium, do I? No. No. no you, don't you have a piece of uranium?